0: Hey Hockey Moms, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Blue Line Hockey Club. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Line Hockey Club, episode 22. We have the usual suspects with us tonight. We have Pat Uncle Lardy Sullivan coming in from Asheville, North Carolina. Patrick, what's up? Bonjour, Gonzales. That's our producer in the house. We also have Robbie Pete Peters, our local nerd, coming from Canton. What's up, Robbie? Hey, how you doing? And Derek he D Train, our all around sports guru. Derek, how's it going? What's up, boys?
1: Meow.
0: And your host tonight, Mark the Doctor, Morley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doctor. Meow. Yeah. And special guest tonight, coming in from the Aquasaucey Reservation, up on the border of Canada and New York, Mike Benedict. What's up, Mike? How you doing? Good to be here. Hey, thanks Come for joining on. us.
2: Thanks for coming on, Mike. We're really happy to have you on tonight.
0: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, sure. Thanks Thanks for having me. Um, a little bit about Mike Benedict. He was an all-star indoor lacrosse player and the national lacrosse and uh, a legend of his time and still giving back to the game and he's coaching his kid very involved in the indoor lacrosse leagues over on the rest so mike give us a little story about how you got started playing lacrosse it's very traditional um up on the reservation and you know maybe how your family got you started and you know how you got to the nll
3: yeah it was um it all started uh basically with my dad i have to give all the credit to him. you know, uh, God rest his soul. He passed away this past November. Um, but, uh, it was him that got me started. And, uh, I used to watch, love watching him play during his senior years and stuff. And, uh, he was, a uh, Ontario Hall of Famer and, uh, Akuzasne Hall of Famer. And, uh, so he got me started and I just followed in his footsteps and tried to emulate every move he had. And that's got what got me to where I got as far as uh, playing minors. Like, we didn't have too much minor system growing up. It was midgets and juniors. And then from juniors, we made the jump to seniors. And I think I started playing seniors lacrosse at 20 years old and went right through. And in 95, I got offered a tryout with the Nighthawks uh, when they first came onto the scene in the, what was called the Major Indoor Lacrosse League, which was formerly known as uh, with the NLL. And uh, I put... I, I ended up playing nine seasons, but I think I owe it all to my dad, who uh, really helped me um, get where I am today as a player and probably as a coach now, too.
0: Yeah, for sure, Mike. You remember when uh, you played for the New Jersey Storm, and I think it was my first season and your last season, and we were down in New Jersey playing together. You know, I was a rookie. I didn't really know much about box lacrosse. I played a little bit, but I was mainly a field guy. And uh, I remember learning some of the tricks and the trades from watching you and Bombberry and, you know, some of the other guys on the left side. And it was frustrating for me because you guys had such a knack for scoring on the smaller nets. And, you know, you're such great finishers. And I was used to shooting on a six by six net with a goalie that's half the size. And, you know, it was a real struggle for, for me coming in as an American, trying to uh, fit into this Canadian slash Native American sport. It was a pleasure playing with you and I really enjoyed it and you know it was uh it was pretty cool to to be part of it and uh, learn from you guys and you know I definitely needed the help at that point but we had some good times in New Jersey.
3: Yeah, it was it was it was fun. It was a real good time and uh, I liked, I like New Jersey because uh we had a good mix like I like it I like the fact that uh American ball players they're always willing to learn and they're always in great shape whereas you watch a Canadian box or like with us here at home on, on, in the territory, we, um, I think we slow the game down. It's an offense defense game. You know, you lose the ball, five guys get off, five guys go on. It's, uh, and they use the 32nd clock, but with, um, American guys, like they'll run, they'll run by you. they'll, They'll, they'll dig every loose ball. They, uh, they do everything. And, uh, what we try to do with them is they're so coachable that if we can slow them down and slow the game down, like and uh, teach them how to catch the ball inside with traffic and uh, getting hit at the same time, and then making a couple of moves on a goalie and just like you know, basically we tell them to breathe, slow down and breathe, see the net and just put the ball there. That's basically what it was. And uh, but that's why I like the fact that with these Americans like learning the box game and how the box game is growing in the, on the American side is. Uh, like I really like that, and it's it's great to see too. So and I think it's going to help. It's going to help the Americans develop into uh, into decent uh, indoor players.
0: Yeah. So for our listeners, Mike, most of our listeners are hockey people, and I don't think a lot of people in the states realize that in Canada, all of the the hockey rinks turn into lacrosse arenas during the summertime, and in the NHL, we all play in the NHL rinks, and they put the turf over the ice. And you know, Canadians have like. A, full out league. Like it's almost like they're minor hockey in the summer when they start up the lacrosse leagues, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's the
3: way it goes. Once the ice goes out, um, they give it like two weeks for the four summer fours are still concrete on there. They just, they, they repaint the lines. They put the box nets in and, uh, away you go. You start your tryouts. And, um, like with my kids, I have one, he just finished his tight season, seven and eight year olds. We were down in the provincials in whippy and there was 60 teams in his division. Uh, that's seven oh, and eight year olds, all, all throughout Ontario. Yeah. Wow. And then my, my, my son is a box goalie, believe it or not, <laughs> my 15 year old, and he just got done with midgets, and there was, uh, I think 49 teams in the province there. And, uh, wow. so, yeah. And, uh, what's, um, I don't know if you remember, but in Ottawa, uh, Jason Tass, I have to give him a shout out. He's a good friend of mine. I play with him in Ottawa and stuff. Uh, his midget team, won the uh, provincial a, a division. they, they went that they take the top six and they go play off in um, their own little round robin series and the Nepean Knights over in Ottawa they won, they won that the A division. so it was a real good thing and um, but yeah that the box lacrosse is huge in Canada like once the ice goes out and it's basically the same kids. It's the same kids that you see skating on that rink come March and April. They got their sticks out, they got the equipment, and they're ready to play lacrosse for the next few months.
0: Yeah, and it's a very physical game. If people have only watched field lacrosse, box lacrosse, is a totally different game. I remember when I was transitioning over through the middle of the uh, floor and you just get blasted and like, what the hell, I don't have the ball, you know, what's, what's going on? You know, but that shit goes and then, you know, you get cross-checked in the head because cross-checking is legal and, man, it's a rough sport. I think i lost my brain. So.
1: Cross-checking is what? Legal on defense, right? Legal. It's legal on
3: defense and it's, uh, on the offense too. Like if, uh, say we lose the ball and, um, one of the defenders pick it up and, uh, we can go in and just slash him up a bit and cross-check them and try to get the ball back. So it's, it's pretty much a two-way street. And that's the one thing I noticed too on defense is a lot of the guys use the wood stick and, uh, it, it doesn't feel good. Like I'm sure Mark knows. Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> so, but
3: what we do is, uh, we're hoping he gets the ball and runs it up. Because you know what you gave me, you're getting back. I mean, I I don't give a shit. I said, and if I miss your arm and hit you
0: in the knee, so be it. I mean,
3: ankle <laughs> yeah, bone. Exactly.
0: I don't care. <laughs> and another difference, Mike, is the uh, the fighting. The fighting is like you know, like hockey, where the gloves get dropped and the helmets come off, and you know you don't see that in field across. So I don't no, know what no. when that happens or what how old they are before they start dropping the gloves, but.
3: Actually, uh, in minors, that's that's automatic. Like, uh, in the minor system, like with the midgets, like pikes through midgets, the kids, they 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 see it on the floor with the senior teams around here and the junior B teams and stuff around here. But, you know, that's something that comes along like you watch hockey. Things aren't going your way. You want to try to change the pace of the game, change the tone of the game. And you know what? I'm going to take somebody and say, hey, let's go. Let's do this. It's time to get my team fired up and uh, a good little – a little puzzle might change, change the game around a little bit for your team. But, uh, with the minors and stuff, no, you got to get in there. They, you know, that's, that's not how we coach them. That's not how we, uh, we teach them the game. That's not the right part of it that they can learn, like, as they get older, like there's going to be times where you're going to have to defend yourself and, you know, you're going to have to take the lumps, you know, and stuff. So, but at this time you're just developing their skills. You're developing their work ethic. Um, their dedication to the game basically is what we're trying to what we're trying to do here
0: so mike when you were playing did you get any fights i mean you're a goal scorer this is myself i was an offensive guy i think i only got in one fight in it in the nll got nice and bruised up black eyes got beat up pretty good yeah. did you ever get in any got, fights
3: i think i got in i got in one here uh against oneida uh we were down there and uh i think it was, it was actually funny because um i The kid, I don't know what the kid, he slashed me or something. And I just grabbed the whole of him. And it turns out it was my wife's cousin. (laughs) So, and we ended up going and knocked his helmet off. And then he couldn't, he was trying to get mine off. But at the same time, he was trying to tug at my helmet. I was giving him punches and I was connected. (laughs) So the ref got in there and found, like, once one guy's helmet doesn't come off, the refs try to stop it right away because it's kind of an advantage. So we went to the family box and I looked over and we kind of winked at each other, gave each other the thumbs up and just laughed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know when when we play play uh, in the NLL, the guys would get in a fight during the game and then we'd get wasted after the game partying with a guy that, you know, you just got in a tilt with and it was just yeah, all left on the floor and it wasn't brought in after the game and just, you know, yeah. part of it.
3: I was playing lacrosse in uh, British Columbia one year for uh, Senior A and I remember in the playoffs, I cut through the middle and this defenseman come out of nowhere and just gave me an elbow and I bit a hole through my tongue. Oh, my yeah, helmet my my helmet, man. went flying off, and I looked at the ref, and looking for a call, I got blood coming out of my mouth. He looks at it, he goes, hey, pick your freaking helmet up, he says, and let's go, and he never oh, called the penalty. <laughs> oh, so man. so as That's I was running out, the defenseman looked at me, and he says, uh, welcome to playoff ball, and I was like, I guess so. I said, holy Christ. Meanwhile, I'm spitting out half my tooth and oh. blood all over the place. <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> so so mike
1: in the uh you know your son's age uh group or whatever are they are they just playing on concrete or are they moving to actually putting turf down in the arena
3: well right now the turf was in at the end of the year because there's a junior b tournament going on the um junior b uh, the founders cup it's called it's all of uh it's the canadian junior b Championships going on on Cornwall island this this whole week and wow. um There's some good lacrosse going on there right now, but they put the turf in for that.
2: At the Turtle Dome?
3: uh, Yeah, that's at the Turtle Dome, yep. Oh, nice, nice. uh, The the games start at 11, and then I think the final game of the night starts at 8. There's like four games a day. Wow. Wow.
1: So so eventually, like when you go over into Canada, deep into Canada, is it primarily just the concrete, the ice arena floors, or do they have like – yeah.
3: Yeah, with yeah. the minors mostly, yeah, it depends on what arena you play at too. Like if you go to like the Six Nations tournaments, um they have turf in their rink. If you go to Peterborough, they have turf in their rink, but mostly most of the other arenas around like in Whitby. Whitby has a beautiful facility with like five rinks in it, and one of them is made for played with the uh the their senior A team, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Redmen, and their Whitby Warriors junior A team, but it's all concrete There there is no turf. So it's they a lot of arenas still use the concrete. It changes. that it's slippery yeah. as shit. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, the one on the one in uh, the Turtle Dome is was very slippery this summer. Just couldn't get it right. But a lot, I'll tell you, a lot of these other arenas, they just I don't know what it is, what they use on that floor. But it is, it's nice, and um, you know you can cut, and uh, there's no slip. It's it's really nice in a, in the summer.
1: Do they put shit on the ice? I mean, on the concrete? Do they put, like, lacquer or anything?
3: They they, they use some kind of a chemical. Yeah, it's like a lacquer. And uh, it takes, like, this this one they got, this jar over here, they use a little bit, and they just, like, kind of, like, splash it on. They go up and down the floor and splash it on. And it takes about 24 hours for it to, to dry. And I told them to just dump a bucket and you know just kind of squeegee (laughs) it down the floor
2: i didn't leave it it you know shut
3: shut the arena down for like a week and do it i said (laughs) for christ's sakes these kids are slipping and sliding and banging up their knees
1: well the turtle dome's a 100 yards from the st lawrence river so i'm sure it gets a lot of
3: frost and yeah as soon as they uh and then when it's the hot days they open the doors and so all that, the air comes in and it, it does something to the floor, but it's, it's not good. <laughs> it
0: gets worse. So what do you like enjoying like, more uh, Co- coaching your kids or playing
3: lacrosse? Uh, right now coaching. I mean, I've, I've had it with uh, as far as playing other than masters or getting out there with the guys and uh, you know, just having having some fun for an hour and then having a few pops after and just sitting in the locker room talking about the good old days. Cause uh, I just recently went through two knee surgeries again, and uh, those were my fifth and sixth ones. So it it, it kind of uh, yeah, my my career my, my career took a toll on me pretty good, and uh, and then I was it didn't help either. I was an iron worker for the last like twelve years, so <laughs> so I got. I know, Mike, I, and, I
4: know. Listen, I my wife actually this is Derek too. My wife uh, actually taught your son in school the Mohawk school, she stopped there for about 12 years. And I heard about you, uh, carrying the torch for the Olympics, you know, a few years back. Uh, you want to talk about kind of what that meant to you and what it meant to, I know the Mohawk school kind of was there in force, uh, yep. watching that. So you want to talk about what that meant to you and the tradition of it up there?
3: Oh, uh, with the Olympics. Yeah, it was huge. Like it was a great honor to be, and I, I had no idea. What happened was they were looking for what they call a torch bearer. And that was somebody who would carry the torch, for your, um, for your area that was in for the Vancouver Winter Olympics. And my wife put in a thing about my background with sports and lacrosse and what I've done for the game and everything like that. And then they ended up picking me to carry the torch. And it was an absolute honor. Like, it was, it was the greatest thing. I still have the suit. Uh, we still got the pictures. And I couldn't believe it because this was, like, way beyond after my lacrosse career. So when I had right. the white Olympic hat on, and you, all you saw was my cheeks because I was so fat and out of shape. <laughs> we, I couldn't help but say to myself, "You know what? After looking at that picture, it was an honor to carry the torch." But I got to get back to the goddamn gym. <laughs> <laughs> too
0: many Bud <butt> Lights.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but that was a good. That was an honor. That was an absolute honor to do that. And uh, you know, it was great for the community too. And then with, especially with all the sports that go on around here, not just lacrosse, but like hockey and soccer is getting huge. And, you know, we got a lot of kids that play basketball and stuff like that. So it was all, it's its all good. Like, it was great. It was great for the community.
0: No, oh, that's awesome, man. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, every four years they pick one person to do that. So that's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, it was, it was awesome.
0: <laughs> so a lot of these uh, Canadian box players and, and Native American box players are Starting to transition into the college game too, so you see a lot more Canadians playing on these Division One teams, and the coaches are going up and recruiting some of these box players because their their finishing skills are unbelievable, and they can just put the ball in the back of the net. You see some of these guys that you worked with through the years that you know you have the the Thompsons that were in Albany, and you know some of these great players coming out of the the box leagues.
3: Yeah it's good to see, you know, especially with the Thompson's like, they really, really, um, like back then it was the Gates. Then it became the Powell's. Then now you got the Thompson's like, and these kids are doing stuff. Like I, I don't know how they, like they, they get a shot off half the time. Um, how they catch a ball with, uh, three long poles whacking at them. It's like you watch these guys and they're unbelievable with their stick skills and everything. And then they got this new kid, this, um, they Nanako. This kid's just a beast. And, uh, like, you watch him play, and he, he's built like a fullback, but with hands, if like you wouldn't believe. Like, he, the kid can score from almost anywhere. But, um, it's, it's good for the game, and, uh, I'm glad for it, and I'm glad that these kids are now getting the opportunities, these, especially these box cross players, because it wasn't, it wasn't for them back then. Like, look at the gates. They came from Victoria. They were highly, like, somebody went down there and said, let's bring these guys here and teach them the field game. But now you see it, and in Canada, there's there's a lot more field lacrosse going on than as as much as box, and uh, because a lot of these kids are now getting these scholarships and going to school to uh, to play ball.
0: Yeah, isn't the Hill Academy a big field lacrosse program in, in
3: Toronto? Yep, that the Hill Academy is. Uh, that's uh, Brody Merrill's school. And uh, Brody, yep. if you know Brody, he was a big time player. Where was that at? Georgetown or Georgetown? Yeah, yeah. Georgetown.
2: I went to Salisbury yep. Private School with Brody. Uh, obviously just oh
3: yeah he went to to georgetown yeah he was uh but he was unreal and then he when he come back to uh when he come back to toronto he started this school and uh that's what they do is they travel all over and play all the prep schools in the states and um i i watched i actually watched their game the, the championship game on uh espn over the summer and uh it's unreal watching these young kids like do the things they do and Learning the game and uh, and it's and it's great. It's just great for the game itself. Sounds
1: like you should be a, a agent for uh, indoor lacrosse, Mike.
2: You know, Mike, <laughs> I, I, I've got a kind of a quick question. You know, what we were talking about how you know there's more fields uh, in in Canada, but I'm curious as to what you think. How can we get more hockey rinks? To actually, I mean, I know in Northern New York, they're, they're primarily turning into, you know, indoor lacrosse rinks, but more, you know, reaching out into the United States, there's a lot more rinks that, you know, could be utilized to play lacrosse. So there's growth opportunities. How do you, how do you think we reach out into those markets to, to spread the indoor game in the States?
3: I think um, what you got to do is uh, just promote it. You know, I think somebody's got to go down in these areas and say, "Listen, you know, this." You you look at these places and you say, "Listen, this would be a good place to like either lay down some carpet or take the ice out of it for a summer and uh, put some lacrosse sticks in these kids' hands." Because and then you ask any, like you look at you talk to any one of these NHL players. They didn't just play like John Tavares was the biggest one. He didn't just play hockey. He played lacrosse in the summer and you know he played different sports. And uh, but that's the way it's got to be promoted to these these places in the states too is that to get these kids to, to uh to get more involved in um in the box of, into, into box across and stuff and that uh with box lacrosse too as a smaller venue you know your hand-eye coordination has to be a lot quicker and i think that would help come along with uh with the hockey season
2: i think that there is a lot of space in in the states for that market to expand you know i think there's a lot of kids out there that that need something to do And you'll be surprised if you just put a stick in their hands, how many, you know, would catch on fire there.
0: Didn't matter where it is, just give them
2: the opportunity. I I think just introducing the game to some kids would would give
3: them uh, an opportunity. And that's, you know, and that'd be great. And then, like I said, like I I used to work, I was working iron, and now I have a job here at home. And I'm making contacts with guys down in Massachusetts. I took my son down there in a tournament he's a goalie and they, they had a box tournament. So we went down for a weekend in uh, this little, like it was a barn with, and they just laid down carpet in this old arena. But it was, it was a tournament. They had eight teams and he played with uh, nine, eighth and ninth graders and the, their final, they, they went eight and oh and they beat the varsity teams, all the 11th and 12th grade teams in a <laughs> box game. And then the final game, their, their eighth game of the day, they won in a shootout and uh, the One of the coaches come up to me and said, I need your number, because there's a a national tournament in Philadelphia, and the coach from Long Island Lizards there, um, I can't think of his name, he coaches the team 91 or something like that, that's a box team, and they would really want your your son to go down there and play goalie for them, so he was basically recruited from one small tournament,
4: but that's what I mean, like
3: people... People are you might, there. You, you like
4: sound it. like you need to be an ambassador for this sport. You know, <laughs> I, you really do. I mean, like, I gosh, uh, so. You yeah, might
2: have found, a career in that. We found the next face of uh, of lacrosse. Period.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing it. I'll tell you. You know, it's just it's. Because, I think it's just because I love the game so much. Is what it is. So yeah, you, you know, know it's exactly. and it's good to see that everybody else is um, like the Thompsons, The way they promote it and stuff. You know, you grow the game. That's all we want to do.
2: Well, in in 2008-ish I was in Florida and being a North country boy you know living in Florida I was surprised that lacrosse was insane down there and only growing you couldn't get vendors down there fast enough to to fill you know the growth of the sport in the south and you know I just had no idea
3: that's um that's I yeah, know it's huge I I, I don't get tall some places like it can grow that fast like it's but it's um it's great to see and like even in texas like look at they got a pro pro field team in texas now and then my a good friend of mine ty thompson that plays there does private camps with some kids and he says you should see some of these places they have their own fields in the back um in the back of their mansions like artificial turf and nets set up and take take my boys back there and here's a thousand bucks and uh teach them for the weekend it's like
0: (laughs) crazy yeah the sport is growing like crazy It's probably the fastest growing sport in the united states being that football is pretty much peaked you know hockey's growing as well but lacrosse is going into so many new markets in the united states right now there's a lot of opportunities for these kids to uh, get scholarships, there's D one programs popping up every every year. So, you know, it's definitely a great game. It's an exciting game. It's fun for kids to play. It's it's uh, you know they get great exercise. They're they're involved the whole time. They're not standing around waiting for a pitch or catch a fly ball. So you know, it's it's definitely fun for the kids.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Like, and it's fun. For, it's fun to watch too as a parent. Like, I I sit there up in the stands. Like, I didn't coach my little guy, but I coached my older my older son. So anytime my little guy was playing, like, you know, you let the coach coach and uh, I just kind of sit up there and watch him take the hits, get knocked on his ass and laugh. And then watch him, just watch him get back up, go after the loose ball. And then, you know, it's, it's so fun and uh, to watch them develop too, and just let somebody else take over. And it's, re- it's really nice to see.
0: Hey Mike, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Uh, it was nice to break it up a little bit, get in on uh, uh, talking about lacrosse and you know, talking about all these hockey rinks that have lacrosse going on in Canada. And, uh, you know, some of our viewers don't know that. So we appreciate you filling us in and letting us know how that sport's grown. And uh, yeah. thanks for coming on.
3: Yeah, anytime, man. You know, if, uh, anytime you want to talk shop and talk lacrosse, just let me know. <laughs> You're a good guy.
1: Appreciate it, Mike.
3: Thanks, Mike. Yeah, no problem, hey, guys. Take thanks care, Thanks for man. having it's me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys.
0: Mike Benedict tonight, he's a, a legend in his own time. He's uh, one of the best boxer players to ever play. Uh, guy could just finish the ball. What a, what a great offensive player. He's a lefty. He was actually in my competition when we were playing in Jersey. So there was uh, three, four lefties trying to make the lineup every night. So I never bounced him out of the lineup. But, you know, he was, uh, he was definitely one of those guys that I was trying to emulate. So it's great to talk to him. It's been a while since I've uh, reminisced with Mike. So.
2: Yeah, Mike. Is a, it's a—he's a pretty big name in the in the local lacrosse community and in the lacrosse community in general. I, I know when I grew up, I, I I heard the the man, the myth, the legend. His father, Mike Benedict, but I always got to see Mike, you know, Jr. And you're right, you know, I, you have to, you know, coming from field to indoor, you have to emulate the game. And you know, Mike was somebody that I. Tried hard to watch as well, even though I could never make the transition
0: from an outdoor to indoor. I just couldn't. Yeah, it's a crazy game. So, guys, let's get into a little bit of a, the NHL and what's going on this week.
1: Yeah, I see uh, Brock Bosner just started uh, negotiating with uh, the Vancouver. He's still got a year in his entry-level contract. Vancouver's reaching out and talking to him. They're kind of you know, sign him before he becomes a restricted free agent and uh, lose him. He was a Calder Cup finalist with uh, Clayton Keller and uh, Barzell from the Islanders. Barzell won it this year. You know, it it speaks a lot when you have a team that's already negotiating with your agent before your season's already up. So, you know, I, I heard some people speculating that, you know, he's the numbers he put up this year, uh, 55 points, 29 goals, 26 assists, and 62 games. I guess the whole thing is, if you look at it as a GM, do we try to lock him up this year for, uh, you know, five, six million, or do we wait until he becomes a restricted free agent and we have to sign him for nine or ten? But, I mean, it's a gamble. It's tough to say, but that's one of the top things
4: going on in the I believe they do uh, yeah I mean as a as, G, as a GM you're thinking you know he had a great he had a great year right so you're thinking to yourself you you got to kind of he's got a couple what do you have a couple years left on a contract or something right one now one year yeah. up yeah one year left so you're thinking you know lock him up long term while you, while you can you know at uh, when he's coming off a decent year he's got a year left you're hoping he doesn't uh, kind of go into the next year and kind of shit the bed but uh, probably the right decision to make to lock him up young guy
1: any GM is gonna try to, you know, when that just with Austin Matthews, when his his final year is coming up on his entry-level contract, Toronto's gonna try to lock him up. I mean, he's on a whole different level from Bosner, but if you can lock him up, and save yourself two or three million dollars a year, um, where some team such as uh, you know Arizona or San Jose is gonna throw 10 million right down in front of his face let's throw eight million in front of his face and see what he does
0: yeah and if he has a really good year this year and he's a free agent next year that's uh
1: could lose him yeah well it's going to cost cost
4: the team a lot more money too if he has if he puts a back-to-back season like that it's going to cost the team a lot more money so
0: this is time to lock him up yeah i think they should, should sign him you know he had a great year he deserves it He put in the time he, he got the points
2: My point was, you know, as a GM, do you pay a little bit more to to lock him in, or do you try and get him at the the lower number? You know, to me, I think you lock him in at something comfortable that is, you know, it shows that you appreciate his effort, but uh, doesn't break the bank at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's tough call. Yeah, uh, other news in the NHL, uh, Ryan Ellis of the uh, Nashville Predators um, signed an eight-year, $50 million contract extension with the National Predators on Tuesday. That'll give him an average of $6.25 million, which starts in the 2019-2020 NHL season. Ellis, he still has one season remaining on his five-year, $12 million contract, signed in 2014. He's only 27 years old. Becomes a restricted free agent in July 2019. He's kind of in the shadows of the uh, big D. Corps men on uh, Nashville, but you know he's got some foreseeable future for for sure. I know uh, the general manager David Poole. He's, you know he they just want his leadership in the locker room. Nashville's not looking to rebuild. I think that the GM said something like, well, "We don't need to rebuild. We got the team, so we just need to keep everyone." I mean he's gotta be he's gotta be better than top
4: three, four defensemen on on that particular team. I mean, locking him up for that kind of money. You know what I mean? He's kinda goes I remember we talked about this on previous podcasts about, you know, defensemen that aren't, you know, maybe the prototypical old school six foot two, six foot three, you know, two hundred and forty, thirty pounds. You know, he's a, he's a little bit smaller, he's five five ten. They must have seen something and lock him up for that kind of money.
0: No, for sure. How about uh Brady Kachuk, guys, a lot of controversy over that one. What do you think about that call? Yeah, he's going to find signed out quick, right? Centers.
4: Yeah, he's yeah. going to find out quick whether or not that was the right decision or not. I mean, I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure if he's going to start out at the, you know, playing for the Sens, He'd probably be, you know, playing down with what, McKenna or something like that, right?
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, he left BU, he's signed his entry level, and now he's got to make the team. So I guess it's basically how he does in camp and, you know, how deep uh, the Sens are up front.
1: I mean, personally, uh, I think he's got a lot of room to grow. He's a great player, physical player, and um, (laughs) he did well at BU this year. I mean, top line, top power play. He's on penalty kill. Really, really good player. Great in front of the net. Physical player. I just think he has, you know, another year or two in college level to grow a little bit. Just get a little bit more mature. Um, before he hits the uh the pros it's it's a fast game in the nhl i mean we see it all the time these college kids going up into the pros just kind of taking a a step back almost um it's just so fast and physical i just think he would benefit from a another year in the uh at least one more year in college but hey that's it i don't want to be negative i hope he does well i hope he uh Cracks second third line and lifts Ottawa up. Listen, Ottawa's not strong, so uh he has potential to crack the squad.
0: Yeah, and you got to look at it from his point of view. If it was us, what would you do? If you had a chance to go play in the show and sign a contract, you know, would you go sign in or would you go go back to class? So <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd be signing a contract.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, he has the option to go play in the OHL too, so you don't have to go to class in the O. He could have done that. That's more you know the OHL is more geared toward the NHL with the seven game series things like that the games same amount of games same amount of series so uh that kind of gets you ready for the NHL or the AHL that gets you ready for the AHL then the AHL gets you ready for the
0: NHL so I don't know hope he does well man yeah for sure I mean another thing that came out this week was the uh NBC's schedule for the year and it looks like NBC's finally going to step up their game a little bit and actually Figure figured out that hockey's is actually you know, Sport people want to watch and they're
1: NBC had most of the Wednesday night rivalries this year. They always had the uh, Wednesday night rivalries, but I think they're picking up a little more a little more coverage It was like every other Wednesday or something like that, but now it's going to be consistent I think it's just like we were talking earlier, the sport of hockey is growing. Their viewers are up. So uh, NBC's, you know, signed probably a good contract with the NHL to uh, preview some more shows. I think the NHL kind of senses a little bit of blood
4: in the water, too, with the NFL and kind of some of the controversy in the NFL right now. What the NFL is doing, too, like, you know, they're imposing, obviously because of this concussion issue that's going on, you're seeing them imposing a lot more rules that it may deter viewers. So it's, I think the NHL is kind of trying to, to jump on that, uh, you know, kind of take advantage of that situation. You know, NFL is like going to start this year. They're going to, you know, be imposing a lot more like hits the head and stuff like that. And if there's all these iffy calls in that league, you know, that start, you know, deterring fans from watching it, the NHL can obviously pick up on uh, some of the fans that may uh, kind of leak away from that sport. Looking for something else.
0: Yeah, and the whole national anthem thing, people are still kneeling, and, you know, that's uh, obviously I lost viewers over that, too. The
1: four of us were going to do the uh, Mount Puckmore. The uh, each personal one who we think should be on the uh, Mount Puckmore. I think we talked about players from 1985 to current who we would put our faces up there on the uh, Mount Puckmore. So. I think we drew straws and who went first? Was it Peters? I think Peters had to go first. Yeah, it was Rob. The papers are shuffling. Hold on. Shuffling papers, Rob.
0: (laughs) Calculating.
1: We can't hear them, so I'll go first. It was pretty tough for me. I think uh, I had Wayne Gretzky, obviously, Mark Messier. Steve Yeisman, I just remember him taking that slap shot when he stepped over the blue line in the upper right corner and won against the St. Louis Blues. I think they still have that on the NHL Network during playoffs. The uh, playoffs? Playoffs. During the playoffs in the NHL uh season they they always show playoffs. that so that's my three my fourth one is current player I wanted to put and I think Connor McDavid I saw him do some stick handling skills on the NHL network recently watched him play the last couple years and that kid is just fucking nasty I mean his the stick handling specialist or speed coach was saying that um, when he stick handles around the pylons and everything else his stick doesn't come off the ice it's just like glued to the ice, the bottom of his stick. And they actually um, scanned in on his stick and showed it in slow-mo and his stick doesn't leave the ice. He's just filthy with his vision and hands. Yeah, I think
4: I I, I went with, uh, Pat, I think I I agree with you on uh, maybe three out of your four. I I had Wayne Gretzky, Steve Iserman, and I had a, a combination of as being a Rangers fan, obviously, I had a, com- or a combination of Mike Richter and Mark Messier, who uh, brought the cup finally back to New York back in 94. But uh, the one player that probably uh, – maybe none of you guys will have this guy, but he was – the reason that I wore number 10 playing hockey. Pavel Bure. Pavel Bure. He was he – was, I, I love that guy, man.
0: He was nasty. He's the man. All right, so I'll go with Mike for now. I – I mean, everybody has Wayne Gretzky. I have Wayne Gretzky. The guy has more records that aren't official than people have official. I mean, the guy's just got a list of NHL records and unofficial records. That's a laundry list long. You have to have Wayne Gretzky, in my opinion. And then I also, I also had uh, Patrick Waugh, the, uh, yeah. the goalie but for the cheap. Canadians. Patrick Waugh. Wow. A, Good call, Mark. Yeah. Good call. I, I'm not sure. Patrick I mean, I Waugh. A goalie, he, but. but he was – He was an awesome goalie. He was a goalie back when we were growing up that I always thought was awesome. And, you know, I think he's probably one of the best to play. I also got to throw a defenseman on there, being a defenseman. I want to go with uh, Chris Chelios. That guy was an ambassador for the game, played a long time in the league, and just was was always there on defense. And he was a staple for that team the whole time he was there. I think he did a great job on defense. So I'm going to go with Chris Chelios. And the last one, I'm going to go with a... A recent player, I'm gonna go with Sidney Crosby, which I know you guys probably think I'm being a pussy on that one. Yeah, <laughs> the, the guy takes a lot of plaque, that's for sure. But uh, he's a player; he does great things. I think we watched him this year. Some of the goals that he had in his highlight reel were unfucking believable, crazy shit. And uh, you know, so he's he's been a great player. He, he's obviously proven that he's one cup. He's been a captain of that team for a long time. And, you know, I think he's probably going to have a lot more seasons on top of his game. This Peter. Those are
2: Some safe picks, Mark.
0: <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Suck it.
2: All right. So, I mean, for me, <laughs> when I good? think of hockey, I, I think of, you know, basically three names come right to my, you know, the front of my head. It's Gretzky, Lemieux, Messier, without a doubt for me. I chose for my fourth guy John McClare, Le- Legion of Boom.
0: Hello, oh, Doctor.
2: Uh oh, huh. <laughs> you know, my personal favorite would be Pat LaFontaine. La, 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 la,
1: <laughs> Another one I wanted just honorable mention on my list is Eric Lindros. Eric I just, Luther. I grew up watching him, and he was just a nasty fucking player until Scott, Scott Stevens.
4: Killed
1: him on the blue line. Wrecked him. <laughs> we
0: got to get him on the show. I remember
4: I, remember I kept Eric Lindros's, uh rookie card thinking that thing was going to be money someday.
2: Eric, did you cry when he retired? Don't lie.
4: Listen, I may have shed a tear. I may have shed a tear. <laughs> people. Peace. We, should,
1: we should try to get him on the show. We should. Why not? Send him an email. My young guy talk to him.
2: Austin Matthews. He's the guy I, I'm watching this year. Austin Matthews.
0: Yeah, Toronto's are going to be pretty good this year, man. I'd like to see what John T. and uh, and Matthews can do up there. I mean, two studs. Yep. You're going to have a good team. We already had a good team, really. I mean, good Eight year. weeks away, boys. Eight weeks away. Count it down.
2: Here in no time.
0: Yep. Well, speaking of sports last week, how about Tiger coming back and almost winning a major? That was pretty awesome. I was excited to watch golf for, for once on a Sunday afternoon.
4: That's two majors in a row, though. You know, I mean, he was right there at the uh, in the British Open, and now the PGA Championship. He might this might be legit him coming back. So He's that's it's it's great break
2: from, it's from great for me,
4: great for the yeah, great for the golf fan watching me personally. Anyways, I love seeing him yep. back in contention, and uh, the, the crowds at the PGA Championship were going insane for him. So
0: I think it's great. I wonder what it's like being. Uh the guy that's actually winning the tournament and you're playing behind t- Tiger, but everybody's following him and cheering for him. <laughs> and then you're just getting whoever's left over after he leaves. You know, listening to his roars and you're the one making the pups and winning the tournament must be kind of embarrassing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was good for the for the whole golfing fans just to see Tiger attempting to come back i think everyone was glued to their tv on sunday hoping he would do that uh, he didn't hit a fucking fairway i think maybe three times so um, uh he's playing army golf for the beginning
4: of that left right he was, wasn't was even in the yeah i don't think he hit a fairway until did he hit a fairway at all or
1: i think like three or four but he was fucking hitting out of the woods Looks like me out there speaking of left right golf uh rob peters
4: broke 50 this week fellas Holy fuck!
0: Hey, how many
4: mulligans? Three we, holes we
1: in a row. We can't let that go by. We can't let that go by.
4: <clears throat> what
1: did you you've three. Part? You part three. You must have fucked up on the rest of them.
0: I did. <laughs> <laughs> what was 47? Forty-seven. 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 That's good. Hey, that's better than the sixties you're shooting earlier.
2: I almost parred yeah. for the last four holes to leave. It
1: was that was really nice.
0: Did you take the card home, put it on the bridge? No, no, no. <laughs> well, great episode tonight. We had uh, Mike Benedict on with us tonight, and uh, we have some exciting interviews coming up with Brianna Decker. She'll be on with us next week. We also have locked in uh, Carrie Frazier, one of the all time great referees in the NHL. So Where'd we can't be- wait to talk to him. Can't wait to talk to him a little bit about the new world changes and. You know, his NHL finals, he repped in 13 final games. So, big stud in the referee world. Can't wait to talk to him. Yeah. The hair. Yeah. The, about the, is hair. the hair. It's the
1: hair. What? He's a legend. So next, it's going to
0: be an honor. So, stay tuned. Check us out on our Facebook. Look for all of our future interviews. Look at our website, bluelinehockeyclub.com, and also on Twitter. So, until next time, folks, keep your stick on the ice. See ya! Will! No. your. Bino.
3: A- Bino.